Hello everyone and welcome to episode 355 of So You Want to Be a Writer. My name's Valerie Koo and I'm CEO of the Australian Writers' Centre where you'll find a suite of writing courses and a wonderfully supportive writing community. I'm here with my partner in crime, Alison Tate, also known as A.L. Tate, author of the fabulous new book, The Firestar, a Maven and Reeve mystery. How are you, Al? Uh, well, to be perfectly frank with you, I am yes. relieved this what week, quite relieved, uh, because I have submitted the second Maven and Reeve mystery manuscript. Ooh. It has been sent off to my publisher. It has been written and it has been edited once by me and it is now in the hands of my my publishers at Penguin and I can't tell you how relieved I am because I feel like I've been walking around with a cloud over my head for weeks and weeks and weeks, a world yes. over my head. And yes. now it's uh, it's just gone away for a little while, allowing me to concentrate on other things for a minute. So I'm quite relieved. So Did yeah. you do something to mark the occasion? Or did I had yeah. a celebratory beer. Okay. <laughs> That's what I did. I had a submission day celebratory beer. And then I just moved on with my life because that's pretty much what you do, right? But yes, I'm, I was pretty nice. happy. Like it was a good feeling to have – I got it in on time, on word count. Yeah, brilliant. I was pretty happy with myself, i got to tell you. Yes. But anyway, we'll see. Let's see what they think of it before we get too carried away by ourselves, Do right? you have a beer of choice, a celebratory beer of choice? Uh, my current – celebrated with beer of choice is the and this is not a sponsored discussion by the way <laughs> is a young henry's natural lager that is where oh, i am yes. currently my beer of choice yeah thanks for asking that <laughs> <laughs> just wondering <laughs> all right shall we move on to the world of writing and publishing let's do that well, the we have a link which we'll put in the show notes and it's about the winners in the Ned Kelly Awards, people who have been um, acknowledged for Australian crime writing. And there's a couple of really interesting names in there. Firstly, uh, a big winner is Christian White. He wrote The Wife and the Widow and we interviewed him back in episode 307. And mm -hmm. his book has done really, really well, hasn't it, Al? It has, yes. Um, and it is actually quite excellent as well. I've read both of them. He he wrote one, um, I think it came out last year or the year before, which I yes. can't remember the name of, but it was his debut novel. It also did very, very well. And it was yeah. it was a great read. If you like crime fiction, then it's, you know, obviously winning the, uh, reading the, uh, the Ned Kelly Award winners can never be a bad thing. Am I right? Yeah, absolutely. And, of course, Adrian McKinty, um, he won for The Chain, his book The Chain, and we interviewed him back in episode 97. Can you oh, believe we've been going for that long? No, I was like, that feels like a thousand years ago. Like it was such a long time ago. I remember us having a conversation. Um, he had just written a piece for one of the newspapers about the fact that he was working on a um, – he was working on a novel at that stage in his uh, Sean Duffy series, which is brilliant. If you are a crime fan, it is a brilliant, brilliant series. Um, and that was the reason I wanted to talk to him was because I'd fallen in love with his series. And I was like, this is what I do, right? If it's, you know, mm. because this is the joy of a podcast. You get to talk to the people who write the books that you love. So I remember having a conversation with him and it was one of those 
if you haven't listened to that episode, have a listen to it because it's hilarious. It's like this rambling conversation that goes all over the place and he's like picking up his kids and it's all happening. Um, But he had written a piece about the fact that he had gone off to a writer's cabin or something. He had decided that he was going to finish this thing and he was struggling because, you know, there's kids and whatever. So he'd taken himself off to, you know, an isolated cabin in the woods to do this um, writing where he proceeded to not write anything because it was all so... (laughs) so foreign to what he was used to and it was it was this fantastic piece that he'd written for the paper um about it and uh yeah he's a very funny man it was really worth having a listen to that interview I could not go to a cabin in the woods by myself be so isolated in order to write I'd be constantly concerned that I don't know a serial killer was going to come out (laughs) say particularly when you're writing the kind of stuff he writes like you just be like looking looking under every twig for you know someone hiding out there um yeah I think it's more that for me I think um I I need those moments of intense concentration of you know Mm. of focusing on the on the work and stuff like that but uh, too much of that for me is not a good thing and I I need the Mm. outside stimulus of other things happening to kind of allow me to walk away from it, decompress a bit and then come Mm. back. Whereas I feel Mm. like I just feel like too much time on my own like that would probably not be great. I don't know. I have never really Mm. tried it, to be honest. So I could be wrong. Maybe I wouldn't be knocking out a book a week if I did that. Um, (laughs) But somehow I doubt it because I always find that the more time I have, the less I actually do anything useful with it. I have the solution. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I'm Bose noise-cancelling headphones, Bose noise-cancelling headphones. So you can be at home mm. and wear these noise-cancelling headphones and literally be in – and they're really comfortable. This mm. is not sponsored and be in your own little world and it literally blocks out everything and you can 100% focus on what you're doing. Well, I would also say that as a parent, I'm pretty good at just blocking. I mean, you know, like when you've you've come up through magazines and you've come up Mm. through open plan offices and then you have kids, you get very, very good at just, you know, zoning all of that stuff out. The only thing that I find very, very difficult to zone out is drum practice. And I have to say that if anyone can actually zone out drum practice, then I feel like, you know, like (laughs) you are a queen because it's just – Honestly, it's, it drives me crazier than anything else. I cannot write whilst, you know, there's any drum practice going on. Well, both that, noise cancelling headphones. Yeah, maybe that's what I need. Yeah, anyway. for sure. Um, so, yes. But, yes, we, we, where were we? Ned well, Kelly's. Speaking, Go read speak, the books. Absolutely. So speaking of ma- coming up through magazines, as mm. we know, about, I don't know, a year or whatever ago, quite a number of titles uh, closed and they were under mm. the Bauer umbrella and mm. Bauer was formerly ACP, which of course was the Packer um, organisation. Yeah. Mm. But there's been lots of rumours lately that a bunch of them are going to be coming back and they are things like Harper's Bazaar, Men's Health and Women's Health. Um, and yeah, the rumours are that they could be brought back maybe even by the end of this year. So there's swings and really? roundabouts in this industry. Yeah, wow. yeah. So they were axed actually not a year ago, maybe only a few months ago. Um, but and I think that's because the because you know how Harper's Men's Health and Women's Health are being are published under license. Um, from mm. whatever the parent company is, uh, and so their license was up for renewal, and the and Bauer or whoever bought Bauer chose not to renew it. But 
yes, there's been discussion that it's going to come back. Oh, interesting. So you never know. Look at you. You heard it here first. Uh Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. And it could come back. I don't know. They might not come back with Bauer or Bauer changed their name to R now, A-R-E. Really weird, but Mm. anyway. Um, Mm. They might come back under a different publisher because Mm. they are good brands. They are good titles. It's just that under Bauer, Bauer had really, really made some strange decisions about the branding of their titles and unfortunately they weren't great for those titles Mm -hmm. Uh, so it wasn't necessarily I believe a true reflection of the publishing industry in Australia sure there are you know changes happening challenges challenges yeah but I don't think I I don't think it was because oh we don't like print anymore I think Bauer actually made some strange decisions Mm. so um they could come back under another title Mm. I mean under another publisher well, watch this space. Watch this space. All right, let's move on to another link that we have, and it's actually on the Australian Writers' Centre blog, and I think this is such an interesting topic. It's called The Rise and Rise of Stealth Help Books. Mm-hmm. So not self-help books, not mm-hmm. S-E-L-F, self-help books, but stealth help books as in S-T-E-A-L-T-H, like, you know, when you have a sneak attack, stealth help. Mm-hmm. 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 So, what does that mean? Well, that's this whole <laughs> new genre that has oh. snuck up on us, and oh. basically, it there it's it's like creative nonfiction. So it's stuff like mm, a very famous example, "Eat, Pray, Love" by Elizabeth. Oh, Gilbert. okay, yeah. I mean, it's beautifully written. Whether or not you're a fan of Elizabeth Gilbert or that book, it is very well written, and it's an example of memoir. It's an example of creative nonfiction. It's an example of a really great story and narrative arc. But many people who have read it have taken a lot of life lessons out of it. Yeah. So yeah. that's like an example of stealth help. Right. Okay. Mm. Right. Another so it's, a, is, it's about one thing, but then it's also this is how it can help your life. Yeah, essentially. Essentially, yes. Um, and it doesn't set out to be you're going to learn some life lessons from this book kind of thing. Mm. Um, it's, it's, uh, it should be just a great read, but that is the outcome. So the rise and rise of stealth help. Some examples from Australian authors are phosphorescence by Julia Baird, which is, you know, everywhere. And, um, and also that Lee sales book and any ordinary day, Mm. um, which, you know, she talks about, Oh, resilience and going through traumatic experiences. And I can't actually read, even though I think Lisa is fantastic, but I'm just, it's, it would be too depressing for me. And I'm sure it's not depressing, but I, I'm just not going to go there. Uh, so stealth help. And I think that that's particularly interesting because creative nonfiction as a broader genre uh, is just going nuts mm, in terms it of... Is popularity if you go to when I go to my local bookshop which I did the other day and um had a glass of I can't even pronounce it it was some French wine but how civilized is that that's very civilized I know I just think it's the best fun okay anyway I digress so when I go to my local bookshop and and look at the titles on display yeah the number of creative nonfiction books is is huge. You know, I love creative nonfiction. Mm. Um, which obviously brings us to 
we're very excited that this very week we are launching a creative nonfiction course. So hooray! Perhaps, hooray! I just love this course. It is just information packed and it's so interesting. Uh, perhaps you want to write a book about a particular period of history that fascinates you or you've had some unusual life experiences that you feel compelled to share. And we've interviewed quite a number of authors who have done exactly that. Um, this is a very comprehensive course and it's an invaluable guide because you'll discover the exact steps you need to take to craft your story, research and all of your experiences and put that into a real tangible piece of work that actually resonates with readers and publishers and not just your mum. So you can get your hands on this course from the 27th of October at an amazing launch price, but you need to register your interest. So head to writerscentercomau slash creative nonfiction. That's writerscentercomau slash creative nonfiction. Now we want to give a big thank you to everyone who has uh, completed our podcast listener survey. Thank you for everyone who's taken the time to do that. We would love to hear from more of you and, um, and invite our awesome listeners to complete a very short survey about our podcast because your feedback will help us bring you your favorite types of episodes. Plus, if you share your thoughts, you'll go into the draw to win one of three new book prizes. The survey is open. Yeah, it's really awesome. The survey is open till the 31st of October, 2020. So go to writercenter.com.au slash survey. That's writercenter.com.au slash survey. And we do ask you, of course, whether you are, you are team Banoffee or team chocolate. And hey, I want to win. <laughs> <laughs> You're not going to win. I'm telling you. <laughs> team chocolate all the way. Well, we'll see, right? After the mm. 31st of October. We now, will. competition time. We have three Hooray. copies of The Windsor Diaries by Alethea oh. Fitzsalen Howard. What a name, right? Mm. What a name. Mm. The never-before-seen diaries of Alethea Fitzsalen Howard, who lived alongside the young princesses Elizabeth and Margaret at Windsor Castle during the Second World War. Alethea's home life was an unhappy one. Her parents had separated, and so during the war, she was sent to live with her grandfather, Viscount Fitzalan of Derwent. Is it Fitzalan or Fitzalan? I don't know. Well, being English, I reckon it's Fitzalan. Oh, yeah. I'm just going to go with Fitzalan. Okay, Okay, Fitzalan. All right. I should go. Yeah. All right. Anyway, so I okay. <laughs> just go. Well, um, she was sent to live with her grandfather, Viscount Viscount Fitzalan of Derwent, yes. at Cumberland Lodge in Windsor. That's right. There, Alethea found the affection and harmony she craved as she became a close friend of the two princesses. Alethea's diary became her constant companion during these years as day by day she recorded every intimate detail. These unique diaries give us a bird's eye view of royal wartime life with all of Alethea's honest yet affectionate judgments and observations, as well as a candid portrait of the young princess Elizabeth known to Alethea as Lilibet, a warm, self-contained girl already falling for her handsome Prince Philip and facing her ultimate destiny, the crown. So, uh, yeah, when I saw this book, I thought, oh, we must have this because I know that there is undoubtedly some, you know, royal fans in our uh, amongst our listeners and people who like reading diaries. So go to writercenter.com.au slash win 
and uh, you could one, win one of three copies. Entries close on the 26th of October. That's writercentre.com.au slash win. All right. Now, before I ask you the inevitable question, I just want mm. to highlight something to our listeners in case you have missed it, that we are delivering you some in-between episodes which oh, yeah. are these story sessions that drop literally in between when Al and I uh, get together and record this podcast. But in between, we're bringing you these story sessions where we bring the bookshop to you and we carefully curate a book that um, uh, where the first chapter or the first couple of chapters are read to you, narrated to you. The last one was narrated narrated by Claudia Carvin, so that's pretty specky. Uh, and so that you can see... While you're, well, you can hear while you're doing the laundry or walking the dog or commuting or whatever, whether it's a book that you might like. And then, yeah, we're bringing the bookshop to you. So keep an eye out for these story sessions because they're a bonus that we wanted to bring our community. Now, Al, are you ready for the word of the week? Well, you know, I'm always ready, really. <laughs> Good. And fractious, and fractious. That's A N F R A C T U O U S. And fractious. Do you know that one? I do not know that one. Okay. So it might sound like it has something to do with being fractured, you know, and mm. fractious. However, mm. it's actually an adjective that means winding and turning. So you might say, be careful when you navigate that and fractious path. <laughs> you, could, you could so say that because you might end up with a fracture, but you're not going to say that. <laughs> oh, I think gosh. it's a cracker of a word. Oh, okay. it is. And that was the word of the week. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre and our popular course, Creative Writing Stage 1. This course is the perfect way to unlock your creativity and explore the world of writing. You'll learn how to create memorable characters, believable dialogue and captivating plots, all in a supportive environment in this five-week online course with your very own tutor giving you personal feedback each week. Let's hear from Sarah Bailey. My name's Sarah Bailey. Um, I've got a debut novel through Alan and Umlin out at the moment. It's called The Dark Lake. It's a crime thriller. I was working in advertising at the time and I was working at a great company and had a really sort of good career, but I just had this burning desire to write all the time. I'd heard really good things about the Australian Writer Centre's course. Um, the reviews were always really positive and people always sort of providing really good feedback on social media. So um, I just thought that was a really good place for me to start. I found Nicole Hayes, the tutor that I had in the course that I did through the Australian Writer Centre, really inspiring. Um, really down-to-earth um, teaching style, but just a really great way of um, pulling together some of the writing skills that she's picked up over the years. She had such a passion for narrative and structure um, and being a published author, she had some, some really practical um, advice and knowledge to share as well. The process for me was just setting my own deadlines, which was something that was covered off in the Australian Writer Centre's course as well. Went, this is how many words I'd like to have by these different points along the year. And then I um, just worked towards getting the words down. And then I sort of um, approached agents and then the agents helped me approach publishers. In the end, when Alan and Unwin decided to publish the novel and um, that was all confirmed, it was, it was amazing. It was just such an amazing um, experience to go through and I felt really fortunate 
um, but also really proud because it had obviously been you know, a really hard, um, hard sort of journey to get there. Through the course at the Australian Writers' Centre, I discovered that writing was something that was really, really important to me. And then of course, you know, through meeting the people and the tutor that I had, I also picked up a lot of really invaluable skills as well. I think it really just set me off on the right path. Um, and then since then, obviously, so much has happened in my world in terms of writing that I really do see it as the first step um, that, I, that I took along that path. It's amazing. I've, I feel very, very fortunate to be in the position where that's, that's my current life. So I think that was a, that was hugely important um, in terms of getting getting started. Definitely, anyone who's interested in writing and sort of taking a, a more serious step toward that as a career or even just a, a more specific hobby, I think the Australian Writer Centre's courses are really worthwhile. I think it's just it's always nice to be um, in an environment where people are passionate about what you're passionate about. Um, and I think that the, um, the skills and the information that you get from, from courses like that just, just help you sort of really focus. For me, the creative writing course was, was a great starting point. I think it just made me um, rediscover my love for writing at a basic level all over again. Um, so I think that I've definitely spoken to other friends and have suggested that they give it a shot. If you'd like to find out more, go to writerscentre.com.au slash creativewriting. All right, so let's move on to our writer-in-residence. I'm thrilled that we have had a chance to speak to Rose Carlyle because her book, oh, uh, The Girl in the Mirror, has gone nuts. Not only is it everywhere, it's being sold in all of these bazillion countries. Um, Rose bazillion. is, well, yeah, you know, Go for accuracy here. Um, Rose lives in New Zealand and she chatted to us from there. And um, let's have a listen to how this entire story unfolded. Thanks for joining us today, Rose. Thanks for having me on the show, Valerie. Right, The Girl in the Mirror. Oh, you know, your debut novel, it's gone nuts. <laughs> hasn't been out for long. It's getting so much buzz, gripping from the first page. For those people who haven't read the book yet, can you tell us what it's about? Sure. So it's a book that poses a question, really, which is an age-old question. If you could switch your life for somebody else's who seems to have a much better life, would you do it? Mm. Particularly if you knew that you could never go back. Um, so the story follows Iris, who's an identical twin, who has always felt inferior to her sister, Summer. And, of course, it's a thriller, so not everything is going to be as it seems in this story. Mm. Are you a twin or have twins in your family or close to you? Not in my immediate family, no. My, my parents both had siblings who were twins, but they were not twins themselves. But I did actually write this book with close collaboration from my older sister. So it's been interesting mm. to be writing a book about <laughs> sisters with so much help from my own sister. Yeah, right. How did your older sister help you? I mean, that's unusual. Well, it was very unusual. My, my sister and I had both been trying to write novels and we really got to the point where we, I think your first novel is often a practice novel and you don't know that when you start, but mm. we got to the point of realising that um, we didn't really know how to go on. And she said to me, oh, I'm thinking I'll just stop and I'll start a new novel and it's going to be about twins. And I said, oh, I want my next novel to be about twins as well. <laughs> um, and that was just the start of the coincidences because then we just started 
throwing our ideas at each other and it, and it, it was just amazing how it just all seemed to fall into place as though the story already existed and we just needed to wow. share, our, pull our knowledge in order to put it together. So um, then we realised that there was only one story here and I'll always be grateful that Maddie said, well, you write the story and I'll help you and I'll edit it for you and that's what she's done ever since. And she's not going to release a book about twins? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we did talk at one point about how different would it be if she wrote the same story but just yeah. you know a different author writing it but no she's actually working on a um, young adult romance so right. but that has taken a bit, a bit of a back foot because Girl in the Mirror just got so busy for us that she yeah. spent a lot of time editing um, so how did you, this idea form in the first place? Was there a light bulb moment that you started chatting to your sister about or, you know, what made you think of this premise? It was really a scene that happens in the middle of the novel and it's actually a sex scene. It's not mm. terribly graphic. It's just got really interesting sexual politics and it was a scene that we felt it was surprising that it hadn't really been done before. It felt like such an intriguing idea. And we found that when, um, you know, our first readers read this scene, every single person reacted in a different way and had mm. quite strong opinions. We could kind of imagine a book club coming to blows over this mm. scene because people had such different ideas of who was in the right and who was in the wrong and what people should have done. Um, and so we, built backwards from that scene to set mm. up the novel and set up the premise of the novel. And we also sort of went forwards from that scene to figure out what the consequences would be of that moment in time. So it's, you know, it's been interesting to, to write a book that really started with one scene. But then as mm. soon as we had that idea, everything else seemed to fall into place. Yes. Now, what I'm absolutely fascinated by is you have used the word we countless times, but there's one name on the, on the, on the book cover, Rose Carlyle. So really, to what extent did your sister get involved in this? And on a practical level, how did you nut it out? Like, did you meet every Friday at the pub or, you know, that sort of thing? You obviously feel compelled to use the word we. Yeah, well, definitely after that conversation because it was the two of us and at that point we hadn't decided who was going to write the story. But um, I I mean, I wrote it. It's not a 50-50 collaboration, but mm. it's really hard to describe the extent of Maddie's involvement because mm. it was, I mean, it was more than you would get normally from an editor, you know, and she was very honest in her uh, in her appraisal of the manuscript so I would send it to her one chapter at a time and it would often come back with oh this is boring <laughs> or you know very honest feedback which is absolutely what I wanted I didn't need anyone to tiptoe around or to to flatter me and tell me that it was good yeah but she did also uh she was always rooting for me you know she said to me the day that we came up with the story um after um I was driving home and driving over the harbour bridge she phoned me to say, look, I just think this book's going to go all the way. It's going to be crazy. And she mentioned Hollywood, actually. <laughs> and so that was the flip side of all of the feedback that she gave me and all the time she told me that, you know, this thing was terrible and I should cut it completely. I always knew that she had my interests at heart. So it's been mm. 
wonderful. And in fact, we talked about whether it should have two names on the cover or whether we should adopt a sort of pen name that meant both of us, like mm-hmm. Liv Constantine, who is actually two people, two sisters. Mm-hmm. But in the end, we decided that this one, this project was my book and she didn't want her name on it. And so tell me, I understand you're a law professor. Tell me about, like, if you can give me a very brief overview of your career to this point so we can get some context as to how you arrived here? Yeah, I mean, law professor is the American term because they don't mm. say law lecturer, which is how I would describe myself okay. to other people in this part of the world. But I've actually quit the job as of June because um, I could see that this was, I think it was, ironically, it was kind of COVID that made me realise that it's time to take life by the throat and Mm. really back myself and if I'm going to be a full-time writer now is the time really so even though Mm. people have said it's a bad time to leave your job it did feel like the right time for me so um, yeah I'm now a full-time writer but I started practicing law at the age of 21 and practiced up until I had children and then I became a barrister and and practiced part-time as a barrister but um, I had three children and four years or less than four years so um and the third one was quite unwell so in the middle of a very difficult year uh my husband at the time and I made the decision that I would stay home with them and um I mean my daughter was in that immune compromised position where she really needed to be kept at home for quite a long time and so I went back to law as a teacher in 20 uh 2018. Um, So it was quite a long break from law and um, it's been a great job to be teaching. It's given me the headspace to write the novel and I wrote a lot of it early in the morning before doing my law job. But now I've just been really enjoying this amazing freedom of just writing full time. Yes. When did you started writing? You know, because obviously you're busy with a career doing law. When did you, A, become interested in writing and, B, actually, you know, decide to dedicate some time to it? Yeah, well, I could say that I started writing when I was six because I remember that I got, I nagged my parents to get me a typewriter and my godfather actually bought me one and I started writing a novel on it. And then a very long time went by without me writing anything. You know, I mean, I remember trying to write fan fiction as a teenager and Mm. so on but I didn't seriously try because I was very busy living my life and as well as raising a family we did some big sailing trips we sailed across the Indian Ocean so I was really really busy just being a mum and you know doing these adventures with my family so I didn't really start again until about 2017 when I just suddenly hurled myself into it and wondered why I hadn't done it sooner but it's never too late. So when you decided to get back into it just a few years ago, um, was it this book that you got into or were you writing something else? No, I actually decided to do a course at the University of Auckland and I started writing a novel for that. And I think I would have been horrified if I'd known that that I would write a first draft of that novel and then ditch it. But that was actually a really, really good move for me because – I learned a lot from writing it and then uh, the idea for The Girl in the Mirror came along, as I've described, all in a big rush in one day and that was just before I submitted the first novel for the purposes of the course. So I spent five more days 
finishing off that novel and submitting it for the course and then I've just never looked at it again. Wow. And I think that that is actually quite a good way to learn to be a writer. You've got to go through that difficult process and really struggle. And I mean, my sister says the same thing, that sure there are people out there who manage to publish the first novel that they try to write, but they've probably spent just as long trying to fix it up and you know, rewrite the parts that don't work as if mm. you did just start with a fresh novel. I don't know which way is the, mm. is the most efficient way, to be honest. It's probably very individual. Mm. And so can you just take us through, a, if you can remember, a bit of a timeline? I mean, you got this idea in one day and then what happened? Did you, you know, think about it for six months and then start writing it or did you start writing it very soon and how long did that take and so on? No, so the idea arrived, came to my sister and I on the 26th of October, 2017. Yeah, of course I remember. And so five days later, I handed in my first novel for the uh, course at the university. Mm -hmm. And I slept for a couple of days and I'd been determined to give myself a bit of a break from writing, but I just couldn't, just had to start writing The Girl in the Mirror um, almost straight away. And uh, so really started writing it in November 2017 and had finished the first draft by June 2018. So that was about six months. And right. then uh, edited it for a few months and sent it to Alan and Unwin at the very end of 2018, just before Christmas, and didn't hear back from them until March 2019, which is probably what? pretty standard. <laughs> it was just sitting on the slush pile yes. from someone they didn't know anything about complete mm-hmm. unknown mm. um but once I heard back from them things happened really fast because mm. um you know they started sending it off overseas and sending it to translation territories and so on so I thought when I got the publishing offer that it was quite you know more than a year between the offer and the proposed publication date for August really? 2020 but actually a lot happened during that time it was very busy and so you had sent it to Alan and Unwin, but did you send it anywhere else? No, I didn't. Why? Because, well, I guess, they, to be honest, they were my dream publisher because okay. they've got, um, I knew that they had an office in Australia and New Zealand and everyone I ever heard mention them would just say great things about them. Hmm. And I guess I also thought, well, I just don't have a clue whether this manuscript is ready or not. So if they reject it, then that's a time to sort of go back and yeah. revise it and see if I can look at it with new eyes. It felt like it had been quite a rush to write a novel in, <laughs> you know, a year, write it and edit it and send it off in less than a year. So I, um, I, and I didn't have a lot of confidence in myself, but then when I got the offer, I just felt absolutely validated by how yes. much they loved it. And obviously I didn't need to go and do another draft of it it was fine as it was although you know then I went through the normal editing process with them. Mm. So you let's talk about the six months that you were writing it six or seven months at the time you um, were working as a law lecturer is that right so tell me how you fit it in and like did you have some kind of routine where you were able to produce a certain number of words per day or week or whatever. How did you make it happen? Yes, I think it is really important to write regularly, even if it's just for a short time. So I was, by that stage, a single mum. 
I was raising four teenagers, which is just crazy. <laughs> and I was trying to, I started this new job just after I started writing the novel. I started it in January 2018. So that was a huge adjustment as well. So I was very busy and very tired, but I heard an interview with uh, Joy Cowley on the radio, who's obviously a hugely successful children's author, and she said that you must give your best time to writing. And I thought, well, for me, that's the morning, because I'm a morning person, and with teenagers, it's possible to wake up earlier than them and to wake up earlier than I needed to to start work. So I would wake up early in the morning and write early in the morning, and in a way, I felt like there was there was sort of a blessing in that strict schedule that I had because I couldn't keep writing after I got tired and after I started to produce writing that was less than my best work. I really only had a short time and I had to really focus on that. I'd have a bit longer in the weekends because teenagers sleep in quite a long time if you let them. So um, that was... That was that just worked really well for me. And in fact, I realized that I only needed 20 minutes to make some progress. I never had a, a daily word count that I was aiming for because I had to stop when I had to stop. You know, if I had to go and get the kids out the door to school and go to work and everything, then there was no way that I could keep writing. So I never had a word limit. Mm. And it probably varied wildly, but I got there in the end. Mm. And so um, what was the most... Mm, challenging thing about writing this book? Well, probably one of the um, most worrying things was writing the final chapter because even though I knew exactly what was going to happen, and I can talk about this without spoilers so Mm -hmm. listeners don't need to rush away with their ears covered, Mm -hmm. but um, I didn't know how I was going to write that chapter and I knew it was going to be quite challenging and I didn't really have a plan B for what to do if that if I couldn't find a way to write it. So, I mean, you'll understand this a lot better after you've read it, but Mm. there were some questions that I had, and my sister kept saying to me, how are you going to write the ending? And I kept Mm -hmm. saying, I've got an idea, I'm going to try it, and if it doesn't work, then I'm going to come running to you and say, help. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And luckily it did work. It was very, very hard to write, but Mm. it did actually work, and, and of course, I probably edited that chapter twice as much as every other chapter just to get it to work. Mm. But yeah, that was that was particularly difficult. Now you um, mentioned that you have have spent some time sailing, and uh, in fact, an important part of this book this this involves sailing. Um, tell us a little bit about how your um, you know, sailing on your own yacht from all over the ocean <laughs> um, uh, has had an impact on your creativity or on this book. Yeah, it was interesting that that was one part of the novel that wasn't planned out on that day when my sister and I came up with the main plot points. So even though it seems like it's an integral part of the novel, that what that was not actually something that we had planned on that day, but I knew that I had to write something that I had really done because I wanted it to feel mm. really authentic. So I took some of the extraordinary experiences that I have had at sea and I put them into the novel. So things like that amazing feeling 
and it's, it's very rare, but sometimes when you're in the middle of the ocean, it's so calm that you can actually go for a swim. And if you're in the mm. tropics, it's quite tempting. So I wanted to put that feeling in the novel of what it's like to climb off your boat in the middle of the ocean. And we would never jump because it's said to attract sharks. So you just mm. slip into the water. And you just feel like you're walking on the moon. You're just, you're just on the very edge of existence. You're only allowed mm. to stay in the water for a few minutes in case you have attracted sharks. <laughs> um, and, I mean, I've done this with my children, so we're very cautious. It's very quick. We're in and out before too long. But there's just those few moments that you know you're going to remember the re for the rest of your life. And that's, mm. what it, that's one of the things that I really wanted to capture. And there are other things too, like, like sailing through a lightning storm and so on. So I just poured everything into this novel, you know, didn't keep things back. <laughs> I wouldn't be getting slipping into the water even for just a few minutes out in the middle of the ocean. But anyway, um, so <laughs> with with this novel, you say you knew, knew what was going to happen at the end. Um, did you also plot out the the middle or did you kind of just see what happened? The main plot points were plotted out, but there was a, it was a little bit muddled in my head in the middle. So I had, mm. I'm actually a real plotter. I, I had mm. a plan for each chapter, including the first and last sentence of each chapter, which wow. I'm horrified when they hear that or, or aghast How? or impressed. Or you, you plotted out each chapter and had already written the first and last sentence. How does that, well, how a does lot your of brain work in that way? A lot of them did change. So I had that mm -hmm. and, and, you know, when I first wrote it, I think there's 23 chapters in the book now and I think there were only about 16. And it was really in the middle there that I found that some of those chapters just grew and grew and grew and you can't have a 10,000 word chapter. So that was when I would have to chop it up and, and you know, some new material came along. So there's, there's one character who appears in part two of the book and... I'd actually written the first line of his dialogue and then I thought, oh, what if I just make this be somebody else, Ooh. not who you think it's going to be? So I just created a new character mid-sentence. No. So I guess even even a sort of uber plotter like me occasionally just lets the writing carry me into mm. a new territory and a new character sort of appears before my eyes as I was <laughs> writing. So you, you said this off, Alan and Unwin, eventually get back to you and uh, say that they want to publish it. And obviously some time passed before its release. Um, so, in fact, it's released in Australia in August 2020. Um, but you quit your law job in June. What was the trigger? What was the thing that made you actually go, I can do this full time? Because the book hadn't come out yet. Yeah, I know, but we, but it had been sold to HarperCollins in America and there had been um, an auction for that uh, and it had also sold into uh, four translation territories and it had sold into the UK and Commonwealth and there had been this interest from Hollywood as well. So Fantastic. I could see it was going to do well and... Mm. Um, like I say, it was really the whole, I mean, who wants to talk about COVID, but it was really going through that experience with COVID where mm -hmm. I realised that 
you know, life is short and yeah. you've got to you've got to really grab it and back yourself. And I just started to have faith that this novel was gonna do well enough for me to at least give it a go, you know, give it a bash and see whether I can be a full time writer rather than rather than sort of clinging to the safety net of my job. Mm. It was a difficult decision because, you know, I did enjoy my job, but this is it felt like the time to follow my dreams if I was ever going to do it. Yeah, fantastic. So when did you – so you obviously sent that off uh, originally um, at the end of 2018, I think you said. Um, when did you start writing the next novel? <laughs> yeah, about a few days after I sent it. <laughs> what? Yeah, really? I know. Because, I mean, that's – honestly, I would tell anyone who has sent their novel off to either a publisher or an agent – to just start writing your next novel right away because the time really drags. The first thing is that the time really drags when you're waiting for your novel to come off the slush mm. pile and have someone read it. And the second thing is that um, if your first novel really takes off, you're not going to have time to write your second one. So the more that you can mm. get written, the sooner, the better. Right. So I'm really glad that I... I was probably about a third of the way through before, or I thought I was a third of the way through before I heard back from Alan and Arman, and I was really grateful for that. Mm. And then, of course, I wrote some more of it in that time between um, between getting the offer and the book actually being published, which that mm. time just seemed to rush by so fast because I was busy all that time editing The Girl in the Mirror, working on my mm. second manuscript, and realizing slowly that this was going to be bigger than I thought. Mm. So the thing is, though, if you were starting to write the second novel two days after you submitted the first, you must have already started thinking about it well before that, in fact, during while you were writing The Girl in the Mirror. Is that correct? And and if so, to what extent had you formed that idea? Yeah, it was, yeah, it's kind of hard to say. I had had a similar experience as with the girl in the mirror um but this time I wasn't actually in person with my sister it was a phone call mm. and we had a similar process so oh my god yeah and now I'm actually at the point where I've got about three more ideas for novels which is wow. quite exciting but yeah. also frustrating because you know you can only write one novel at a time and I can't bash one out in a month yeah I'd love to be one of those people who can you know do NaNoWriMo and mm. be ready with another novel but <laughs> you know you have to love the idea enough to spend mm, a good do. year to 18 months of your life on it so you've got to really be happy with it so have you finished it uh yeah I have Pretty much. Well, I'm not completely happy with it, but I have actually sent it off. So, oh, um, so what? You're, you must be writing your third novel now, then. <laughs> Give me a couple more days. I'm trying <laughs> not to because, you know, I, I've, you know, we're in lockdown here, so yeah. the house needs a bit of work, and I'm I'm trying to actually, you know, spend a bit of time with my kids and yeah. catch up with all of the jobs that that just constantly get juggled along with writing. Yeah. I mean, this is the problem with having a passion, isn't it? That everything else gets neglected. And now I'm actually managing to spend some time with my 
in my garden, looking after my hens and weeding and all those other things that don't, you know, that normally yes. get Do you know when the second novel's coming out? Well, I haven't really talked to um, my publishers, but I think the aim is to go for an August date next year. Yeah. That's I mean, it's, well, you know, right. it's a long process. So Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, okay. What was the most, uh, in the actual writing process, so the six months when you were writing the first novel, um, what was the most rewarding part of it? Like what was the thing that gave you the biggest buzz? Yeah, sometimes the most rewarding part of writing is also the most difficult. So there was one conversation that I wrote, I think it's chapter 18 now, um, just a conversation between two characters, but one of them has only just come into the novel. And I I just, I spent a week on this conversation, which wow. is quite a long time when you look at how long, how, how quickly I wrote the novel on the whole. But... Mm. I felt really, really satisfied with it when I'd finished it because I felt like I'd really got to know this new character who'd appeared and I'd really made that conversation work. It was one of the most challenging conversations and I think that was because I had such a strong sense of the relationship between these two characters. But I also had a very strong sense of where this conversation needed to end and those two things were in tension with each other. So it was almost like the characters were trying to get me to let them sort everything out in this conversation. But because it's a thriller, you can't sort everything out till the end. So I had to keep pushing them, pushing the characters in a different direction. Mm. They really felt like they were alive and they were, they were trying to make the story go a different way. And I just had to keep working with that. What Did you ever um, think that it would get be this popular? Well, I think all writers have dreams yes. of their book being... <laughs> popular um but you sort of know that you're deluded and that your book's not not really going to be number one the week it comes out um and it's not really going to sell out which i mean in new zealand that has happened it's number one now amazing Um, and yeah your book's not really going to get attract interest from hollywood you know you you sort of so i i would just it was quite weird because I would keep trying to tell myself to stop dreaming and then mm. and then good things would happen and I would let myself dream again and I almost right. went a little bit crazy for a while there just <laughs> when you know things were happening so fast but yes. yeah I was actually turning cartwheels at times yes I was, you know I would get these exciting emails from mm. New York mm. and I would and I'd be home alone. The kids would be at their dad's oh. and I'd be like turning cartwheels in my living room, which isn't really big enough to do that. Like actually <laughs> turning cartwheels? Yeah, like I'm literally saying that I would I would actually go and turn cartwheels. Yeah. Oh, my yeah. God, that's so wonderful. Yeah. I mean, my sister and I, we, we danced a lot as children. And it's mm-hmm. interesting how we keep bringing that back into our understanding of being creative. So my sister would oh. often – uh, stand up and sort of dance the way that she thought a novel should start, which oh. is hard to describe, but it's like she'd be saying, you know, this is the kind of mood you need to establish on the first page of your novel, and it can't be like this. It's got to be like this. And she'd, she'd show me with dance moves, and it's interesting that we've got that shared language. And that is fascinating. So we quite often use our physical bodies to, 
you know, like we would act out a scene together. So oh, you be Iris and I'll be Summer and, and let's actually act this out as though mm. as though it's going to be filmed. And, yeah, so then even that moment of jubilation has to be expressed with a, an actual cartwheel, yeah. <laughs> so first of all, The Girl in the Mirror, the musical, <laughs> but also <laughs> when you say that you are – you and your sister acted it out you mean you actually acted out a scene not necessarily in dance but the 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 dialogue in a scene for example is that what you mean yeah there's there's one scene that's sort of really building towards the climax of the novel where um, I started describing what I wanted to happen in this chapter and my sister jumped up and started being Iris moving around the room saying oh "Oh, yeah she, she comes here and she does this and she then she goes into this room and she's she's being Iris acting it out for me. Yeah. So um I mean that that was really helpful because it really gives yes. you a sense of what the character is doing and thinking. And I'll quite often, you know, I've heard about method acting and, and I do method mm-hmm. writing where if I've got a character who needs to like I, I would go down to the beach and and actually dive under the waves in order to in in order to describe what it looks like under there. So wow. yeah, I think that's some people have, other writers have looked at me like I'm crazy when I've described doing this. But I've never heard me, of it. Not the thing about the diving, but the thing about the dance. I've never heard of it. <laughs> yeah. It's well, unique. I guess it's just really individual and it just depends. I think it's because both Maddie and I, as very young children, were dancing. Mm. And so that is how our creativity comes out. Mm. Fascinating. Okay. And so finally, what would be your top three tips for aspiring writers who hope to be in a position like you are one day, you know, with sold all over the world, multiple translations, um, whispers of Hollywood (laughs) and everything? Well, yeah. Okay. Only three. I'll do my best. So I guess (laughs) the first thing I would say is that you've got to write from the heart. You've really got to believe in your story and it's got to be your story. You can't say, or what do I think will sell? What does the world want? What's mm. going to have wide appeal? You know, and it's got to be your own individual story that really comes from you. Even though I don't mean that it has to be autobiographical, because I certainly hope people realise that that <laughs> is not me and the story is not autobiographical at all. Mm. So that would be the first thing. Um, the second thing I would say is that you have to be really persistent and work really hard. You have to put in untold yeah. hours. You know, that whole thing about 10,000 hours, probably true. And you have to really fit that in around your life because, you know, no one's ever going to say to you, hey, how about you quit your job and, mm-hmm. you know, I'll just pay for everything while you sit in a room and write. So you've really got to make that happen for yourself and just really put in the hard work. And I guess my third piece of advice would be that you've got to be humble and realize that you don't really know how to write when you start. And if you don't go through that process of thinking, this is really hard and what I'm writing is bad and it's no good, then you're probably not going to get better. If you just think, oh, this is wonderful, I'm writing great stuff, you are probably never going to get any better. So, um, it was Chris Cleave who said to me when I first started writing, and he, he came out to New Zealand, and I absolutely loved his book, so I really listened. He said, "Writing block, writer's block is actually your friend because that's the point where you realise that what you're writing is not good enough and can improve, and that's the moment when it does improve is when you get 
writer's block. So you just have to push through it. So that's only three things. I did well there, didn't I? <laughs> that's brilliant. Thank you. And look, congratulations on your book. Um, I can already tell it's going to be hyper successful. Uh, and thank you so much for your time today. Oh, well, thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. It's been nice to, ch- to chat. There you go, Rose Carlyle. I just love how we have so many different authors who we all have such different processes you know, in terms of approaching their writing. It's great to hear about it. All right, let's move on. Uh, We're almost at the end of this week's episode, Al. What are you doing in the coming week? Oh, let's see. What am I doing? Would you actually, do you know what? I've got book week. Oh, my God. I know. it's That's crazy, isn't it? But book week, which is normally held in August, has been held over. And so I am doing school visits. Which is like actual the, visits? Like I've got some actual visits. I've got a couple of virtual things. I've done a lot of virtual school visits for a whole bunch of reasons that we could probably discuss at, at length, you know, in an episode another time. Mm. Um, I've got a couple of virtual visits and I have some face-to-face visits. But it's also a slightly surreal experience because I feel like book week in October is just bizarre, A, eh? and I also mm. feel like I'm so out of practice because I just haven't been anywhere or done anything for the whole year so to suddenly have to then summons up the you know the um the mojo to go and actually face you know hundreds of kids and talk about books is is kind of weird but you know I'm I'm stealing myself and I have a new authorial blazer to oh really I do I have a new authorial blazer to debut um and then I've also got yeah actually you know what I've got a whole bunch of things coming up that I have been, I've just not thought about because I've been so focused on getting my book done. Um, but I have a, I've got an event, a Zoom event on the 29th of October with Where the Wild Things Are bookshop. And I'm oh, doing a fantastic, I'm so excited. I'm doing a panel with Kate Gordon and Leon Tanner um, about Ooh. the role of fantasy, adventure and mystery in children's novels. So um, I'm going to put the link to that in the show notes because I think if you are a, a, a you know, a writer who is working on children's fiction in those sorts of areas, I think it will be really a worthwhile conversation because, um, you know, Leon, Kate and I have, you know, there's crossover in our work but there's also differences and I think it would be really worth having a listen to how, you know, we all go about the various aspects of the things that we do. Um, So I'll pop the link in the show notes to that. But, yeah, so, you know, things are – we're at that really busy end of the year um, yes. with schools and everything and, like, my boys are both, you know, out of their minds. Uh, you know, my book boys started year 12 just Whoa. in the last week. Yeah. I know. Can we all just take a moment there? Because, you know, like, he was nine years old when I got <laughs> the idea for the Mapmaker Chronicles. Oh <laughs> he's now, God. you know, nearly 17 and yes. he's um, – doing year 12 and it's insane um so you know and uh book boy junior is in year eight and Mm. so this end of the year is very busy and so book week at this time of year is is just probably one step too far for lots of parents and I completely understand that but Mm. I do also feel like books have played such an important role this year for a lot of kids, you know, in lockdown, out of lockdown, taking them somewhere else when they have to stay where they are, all that kind of stuff that Mm. I do think that celebrating books, um, you know, is is it ever a bad time really? Probably not. So I just need to find my mojo and um, get myself, you know, out there um, 
and I, you know, it's an opportunity for me to talk about my about my new book. So I, I should be just embracing it with with all passion, shouldn't I? So yeah, like that's what I'm well, doing. You you have a full plate, Al. You have a full plate. I know. That sounds How bizarre amazing. though, because before you asked me that question, mm-hmm. I was just kind of sit, sitting here thinking, yeah, what am I doing? Oh my, oh, this is what I'm doing. Oh. I'm doing all of these things. <laughs> yes. Okay. Yep. Mm. Anyway, wow. compartmentalizing. Um, yes, I know. It's what about essential. you? What are you doing? Well, what am I doing? It's my dad's birthday coming up. I've got the job of organising it. It's, well, obviously, because in these sort of um, times that we're going through, we're going to do it at home, well, at his home. And so I'm not the most culinarily gifted person. Um, so I'm just going to buy everything. <laughs> yeah, well, you know. Um, we were talking about Christmas the other day because, of course, Christmas. Oh, this is the other thing. Christmas is coming. Go buy yes. books for Christmas, everyone. Oh, Go buy absolutely. the fire star for every yes. kid you've ever met. For um, sure. But that aside, Christmas mm. is coming. It doesn't feel like Christmas should happen this year. Like it feels like just one mm. thing too many to happen. Um, but we were talking about it, and it looks like it's probably going to be at my house. And um, oh the God, builder and I were discussing it, and he goes, "Let's just buy everything." Yeah. <laughs> like, Why wouldn't I'm you? Like, well, because I don't know, this doesn't feel right. Also, huge outlay, but well, yeah, yes, like let's just buy everything. Um, mm. And I thought, well, let's think about it later. But whatever, yeah, I think you should definitely just, you know, yeah, to support your local economy and order in. Absolutely. Mm. Uh, and what else am I doing? Actually, I'm doing a Zoom the exact say, same day that you're doing a Zoom on the 29th of October and it's for about 60 people where I will be teaching them the art of content writing. Oh. So Maybe I'll come to that. Fun. Oh, I can't do that. I'll be you at my can't. own. You are on your own Zoom. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, where do we find you online now? You'll find me at alisontait.com, A-L-L-I-S-O-N-T-A-I-T.com. You'll find me on Twitter at, at Al Tate, A-L-T-A-I-T, and you'll find me on Facebook and Instagram at Alison Tate Writer. And you, Val, where do we find you? You'll find me at Valerie Koo, that's K-H-O-O, on Twitter and Instagram and over at ValerieKoo.com. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we look forward to chatting to you again next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writercentre.com.au slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writerscentre.com.au slash news where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions and much more. <laughs>